Welcome to the Special Forces in World War II podcast, transmitting on this frequency. This broadcast is your dedicated channel for comprehensive intelligence regarding World War II Special Forces operations. Our transmissions encompass in-depth analysis of their strategic maneuvers, cutting-edge equipment, illustrious biographies, and an array of pertinent subjects. The orchestration of these transmissions is executed by the expert team of the Special Forces in World War II website, a squad deeply immersed in the historical theater. For further insights, visual aids, and captured moments frozen in time, navigate to our virtual headquarters at worldwar2-soft.com. Your immersion into the front lines of knowledge awaits. Over and out. Welcome to another episode of the Special Forces in World War II podcast. Today, we're delving into the extraordinary world of underwater espionage, covert operations, and the unsung heroes of the Soviet Navy's Rota Osobogo Natsnachenia, or Aron. During World War II, when the fate of nations hung in the balance, the Aron emerged as an elite naval special force in the Soviet Union. Their mission? To infiltrate enemy waters, retrieve vital intelligence, and execute daring underwater missions under the most perilous conditions. This remarkable unit, formed during one of the most tumultuous periods in history, played a pivotal role in the war effort. In this episode, we'll explore the inception and evolution of the RON, their astonishing covert operations, and the extraordinary individuals who comprised this unit. From underwater demolitions to mine clearance operations and capturing enemy secrets, their story is nothing short of awe-inspiring. So, join us as we journey back to the days of espionage, bravery, and ingenuity beneath the waves in the Baltic Sea. This is the gripping tale of the RON, the unsung heroes of World War II's special forces. Rota Osobogo Natsnachenia. In 1938, high-ranking officers within the Rabocze Krestianskaya Krasnaya Flot, or Workers and Peasants Red Fleet, also known as the Fleet of the Soviet Union, including figures such as Savichev, Krivoshenko, and Kroll, are in deep contemplation regarding the potential utilization of a submariner's individual breathing apparatus, IBA, for covert reconnaissance and sabotage missions. These discussions not only revolve around the concept itself, but also involve practical exercises to demonstrate its viability. These exercises serve to underscore the feasibility of deploying reconnaissance divers from submarines beneath the water's surface, thereby highlighting the necessity for specialized units and clearly outlining their primary objectives. Historical records indicate that the initial efforts to deploy reconnaissance divers from submerged submarines begin in the Pacific Fleet in 1939. Yet these trials do not lead to the establishment of a fully-fledged unit. It isn't until the German invasion of the Soviet Union in June 1941 that the reconnaissance department of the Baltic Fleet's headquarters, known as ROSBF, Razvedivatelnim Otolom Staba Baltiskogo Flota, ROSBF, 
recognizes the critical need for effective clandestine reconnaissance methods to penetrate the German lines. After thorough evaluation, they conclude that the most effective approach is to conduct amphibious landings of paratroopers by sea, utilizing lightweight diving equipment. In July 1941, Senior Lieutenant Afanasyev, an intelligence officer of the RBSBF, proposes the establishment of a specialized unit composed of divers. Later that July, 1941, Rear Admiral F.A. Krylov, the head EPRON, Expeditia Podvodnik Robot Osobogo Naznachenia, EPRON, Special Expedition for Underwater Works, a government agency of the Soviet Union, to salvage valuable cargo and equipment from sunken ships and submarines reports to Admiral I.S. Izakov. Izakov is the Deputy People's Commissar of the Navy and a representative of the General Headquarters of the Supreme Command, who is assigned to organize the coastal defense of Leningrad. During their discussions, one of the topics covered is the relocation of the diving school in Vyborg. Rear Admiral Krylov expresses his concerns about the possibility of these trained divers being reassigned to infantry units. Instead, he suggests retaining these divers within the fleet and forming a specialized reconnaissance unit from their ranks. This unit will consist of divers equipped with lightweight diving gear who will operate in the rear areas of German-occupied territories. The name for this unit is Rota Osobogo Natsnachenia, or Aron. Rota Osobogo Natsnachenia. Translated in English, it means Special Purpose Company. Krylov also has a suitable candidate in mind for the role of unit commander, Lieutenant I.B. Prokvatilov. Lieutenant Prokvatilov has recently graduated from the M.V. Frunze Military Medical Academy. Rear Admiral Krylov recommended Prokvatilov for admission to the diving technical school in Balaclava. Following his service at Epron, Krylov's encouragement motivated Prokvatilov to prepare for and attend this school, making him an excellent choice for leading the new unit. The proposal received approval from Admiral Isakov, and on August 11, 1941, the People's Commissar of the Navy issued Order Namawa 72, officially establishing a special-purpose company within the Baltic Fleet. This order marked the creation of a new type of military unit, the Naval Special Intelligence. The order, addressed to the head of the Intelligence Department of the Baltic Fleet, included the following directives. 1. Establish a special-purpose company comprising 146 personnel units under the jurisdiction of the RO, Reconnaissance Department, of the Baltic Fleet. The company shall be staffed by commanders and Red Navy divers who have received specialized training at the Naval Medical Academy and the EPRON Directorate, as outlined in the attached list. The final training of personnel should be conducted at the premises of VMMA, Naval Medical Academy, and EPRON. 2. Appoint Lieutenant Prokvatilov as the company's commander and assign Comrade Matsenko as the company's political instructor. Comrade Savicheva 
holding the rank of a military doctor of the first rank, is designated to provide guidance and advice in diving training. 3. Implement the provisional staff by August 15, 1941, and complete the formation by August 25, 1941. The commander of the Leningrad Military Port is instructed to provide the Special Purpose Company with all necessary rations. This order formalized the establishment of the Rota Osobogo Nadznachenia, marking the beginning of a unique chapter in the history of the Baltic Fleet. To maintain confidentiality in all official documents, it was referred to as the Epron Submarine Company, Rotoi Podvodnikov Eprona, and its operatives are informally known as submarine infantrymen. The unit's camp is based on Goloday Island, nowadays Dekabristov Island, in St. Petersburg, Russia. The camp is situated at the end of Zheleznovodskaya Street. At the nearby school site, the economic commander orders to plant vegetable gardens. In the Neva River, specially appointed Soviet Navy men on boats collect fish, stunned after shelling. To equip the Rota Osobogo Naznachenia, existing light diving individual apparatus, IPA-2, diving suits, T-1, and buoyancy aids in the form of life buoys are repurposed. In 1942, a specialized device is developed to enhance waterborne mobility. This device comprised an inflatable flotation pillow paired with a wetsuit crafted from rubberized fabric. Subsequently, Rota Osobogo Naznashenia personnel initiates the production of individual inflatable boats constructed from balloon material. These lightweight boats, weighing only 3 kilograms, could carry a capacity of up to 150 kilograms. It's important to note that during this period, standardized equipment, gear, and weaponry designed explicitly for naval special forces are absent. Most of the equipment used by the Rota Osobogo Naznachenia is developed or redesigned by the unit itself. On paper, the unit is equipped with four vehicles, a motorcycle, and three light patrol boats of the MO4 type. However, in reality, the number of vehicles does never exceed three, and the unit receives only one raid boat on a ZIS-12 truck. The commander of the company is immediately recognized and respected. His background as a renowned diver, towering stature, standing at 198 centimeters and weighing 128 kilograms, distinct Ukrainian accent, and an air of imposing authority all contributes to his instant recognition. Among the scouts, the commander is affectionately referred to as Batia, a term denoting a fatherly figure who commands both respect and loyalty. Just prior to the outbreak of the German invasion of the Soviet Union, the Naval Medical Academy in Oranienbaum, Lomonosov, takes the initiative to establish training courses for paratroopers. By the conclusion of the summer in 1941, these courses are stopped and the trained specialists they had produced are subsequently transferred to the intelligence division of the Baltic Fleet. However, these men aren't immediately assigned to the Rota Osobogo Naznachenia. Instead, the unit is primarily staffed 
with volunteers from the Baltic Fleet's crew, encompassing individuals of varying ages and qualifications without the imposition of a medical selection process. On top of that, the unit's objectives are initially undefined. No training programs or manuals exist, as there is only limited experience in this domain. Lieutenant Progvatilov faces a challenging task assigned by the fleet's command to train the company's personnel in just 30 days. The sole training goal is the ability for each member is to walk a distance of 1,000 meters underwater at a depth of 20 meters. Besides that, they have to become proficiency in small arms usage, hand-to-hand -hand combat techniques, and the handling of explosives. This task was made even more complicated by the fact that volunteers recruited into the unit had no prior experience working underwater and hadn't undergone medical examinations. Consequently, in August 1941, over 80 individuals had to be discharged from the company. From its establishment until June 1944, the Rota Osobogo Naznacheniya has an authorized strength of 146 personnel, of which 111 serve as reconnaissance divers, including submachine gunners, squad commanders, and assistant platoon commanders. In practice, throughout this period, the RON never has more than 119 members. In terms of organization, the RON has six platoons, comprising five combat platoons and one training platoon. Typically, missions are conducted by divers in pairs, and several pairs notably stand out for their exceptional success. These pairs include Frolov and Gupalov, Perepelkin and Lunin, Trapezov and Zvensov, Spiridonov and Zvensov, Kadurin and Borovikov, Kadurin and Kobyak, Nikitin and Vorobyov, Trapezov and Zaitsev, Korolkov and Spiridonov, and Kadurin and Zaitsev. It's important to note that these pairs are formed based on strong bonds of friendship and complete trust in each other. It is a continuous challenge to maintain the full complement of the company. The Baltic Fleet, like many other units, faces significant shortages in personnel. Transferring divers from the ACS of the Baltic Fleet to the Rota Osobogo Naznachenia is considered, and there are directives issued for such transfers. However, the demand for divers is much greater than the supply, making it impossible to meet the directives. Extending the preparation time wasn't an option. The only viable approach was to gain experience through combat operations. Due to the shortage of time, only a minimal number of hours are set aside for theoretical instruction. After two, three classroom lessons, training swiftly transitions to practical diving. Simultaneously, the material aspects are learned through direct diving descents. Individual training is almost non-existent, as eight, ten individuals would typically submerge together during one training session. A guiding line is installed at the mouth of the Malaya Nevka River to assist divers in underwater navigation. Training sessions are conducted around the clock in shifts. Besides diving, Substantial time is devoted to general military training. 
The high personnel turnover proves detrimental due to the lack of stringent medical assessments of the crew. Instances occurred where, out of 50 individuals selected, only four, five prove suitable for diving service. The hasty learning pace also impacts the initial dives, resulting in cases of severe diving-related illnesses leading to the deaths of three soldiers. By the conclusion of the second week of training, the men can cover a distance of 100, 150 meters at a depth of 4 meters. Despite extending training by an additional 10 days, noticeable improvements are elusive. Nevertheless, in August 1941, the company is dispatched in full strength to execute a combat mission in Vyborg. The operation aimed to capture one of the Finnish islands. Divers are instructed to traverse two kilometers underwater routes at a depth of 20 meters during the impending mission. Given the inadequate diving training of the men, this task is beyond their capabilities. Regrettably, efforts by intelligence officers to draw the command's attention to this circumstance has no results. It is only thanks to the enemy's observation of the concentration of our troops preparing to assault the island that they decide to vacate it themselves, thereby averting the senseless loss of lives. Following their return from Vyborg to Leningrad on September 7, 1941, the Special Purpose Company is placed under the complete authority of the Reconnaissance Department of the Baltic Fleet, ROBF. Captain 3rd Rank L.K. Bekrenev, who is responsible for the human intelligence operations within the Intelligence Department, is their direct commander. Only two weeks later, the paratroopers from Oranienbaum are assigned to the Rota Osobogo Natsnachenia. This action makes the identification and removal of inadequately trained and morally unstable Soviet Navy personnel possible. Consequently, the Special Forces Unit is reinforced and transformed into a combat entity with the capability to effectively accomplish crucial missions. In the command's original plan, the Rota Osobogo Naznachenia is established to support human intelligence activities. However, the circumstances of 1941 to 1942 necessitate the unit's use for purposes other than its initial intent. During the tense days of September 1941, when the fate of Leningrad is desperate, all available reserves are thrown into battle. The RON participates in several landings, including the Schlüsselberg landing, where tragically some of the most highly trained reconnaissance divers lose their lives. Amid the harsh winter of 1941, a portion of the RAN personnel is dispatched on the first reconnaissance mission of the ice route across Lake Ladoga. These 30 km long routes, known as the Road of Life, are successfully surveyed within two days. As railway operations commence, reconnaissance divers are consistently used in the recovery of sunken trucks and barges to keep this vital supply route operational. During this period, there are no official documents that provide clear regulations for the preparation and execution of reconnaissance and sabotage operations. The lack of experience and the absence of well-defined procedures leads to instances where tasks are not successfully completed, 
particularly in the tumultuous years of 1941 to 1942. For instance, the boats provided by the fleet sometimes display impatience and lack of perseverance when supporting reconnaissance groups from the coast. In adverse weather conditions, these boats occasionally return to the base without waiting for the scouts, resulting in mission failures. Finally, in 1943, the RO of the BBF issues a Manual for Conducting Intelligence Activities. This document establishes guidelines for preparing reconnaissance officers for planned operations, the readiness of landing and extraction forces and equipment, the coordination of interactions between reconnaissance groups, and the actions to be taken upon reaching the shore. The introduction of this manual marks a significant turning point for the Rota Osobogo Naznachenia. Prior to each operation, the personnel receive specialized training in conditions simulating those they will encounter during the upcoming mission. This change has an immediate impact on the company's casualty rates, seven in 1943 and just one in 1944. It is through this experience that the RON's operational effectiveness improves. Regrettably, at its inception, the unit does not have the advantage of officers with prior experience in naval intelligence. All the platoon commanders within the company hold the rank of sergeant major and are later promoted to officers. It isn't until 1943 that experienced reconnaissance officers are brought in to support the Rota Osobogo Naznahenia. These officers are Captain 3rd Rank Dmitry Uvarovich Shashchenkov and Captain Georgi Vladimirovich Potekin. Captain E.B. Yakovlev, an intelligence officer from the Leningrad Naval Base Headquarters, also has active interactions with the RON. He serves as the commander of a reconnaissance detachment in the Peterhof direction during the war. Between 1943 and 1944, Soldiers from the Rota Osobogo Naznacheniya undertake numerous operations aimed at reconnoitering and penetrating the enemy's coastal defense systems, identifying suitable landing locations for troops and reconnaissance teams, as well as capturing prisoners. These operations span various locations, including the southern and northern coasts of the Gulf of Finland, the shores of Vyborg Bay, the islands of Gogland, Bolshoi Tutas, Ruknu, and Lake Papus. During that same period, personnel of the Rota Osobogo Naznachenia frequently undertakes the responsibilities of underwater sappers, engaging in the challenging task of detecting and deactivating magnetic mines that were strewn throughout the Baltic Sea. The company conducts an impressive 840 diving missions with the aim of neutralizing these mines. It's worth noting that the company achieves success in these operations, even in the face of equipment limitations and inadequate logistical support. In January 1944, the company undergoes a significant reduction in its staff. The unit is reduced to 104 individuals. This reduction is prompted by a decrease in planned operations in March 1944. By the order of the Baltic Fleet Commander, 30 men from the Rota Osobogo Naznachenia are reassigned to the ACS to establish two emergency rescue squads for the Baltic Fleet. 
The structure of the Rota Osobogo Naznachenia is streamlined to three platoons, consisting of two combat platoons and one utility platoon. After this reorganization, the unit goes back to perdoming their combat tasks. It is during this period when one of their most notable missions takes place, or at least one of the most mentoined. In the beginning of July 1944, while on combat duty in the Bjorka Sound area, the Soviet naval vessel M0105 mysteriously sinks to the bottom. With its sinking, the ship follows in the footsteps of M0304 and M0107, which have met similar fates under approximately the same circumstances. None of the surviving sailors witness either the trail of a torpedo or the periscope of an enemy submarine. In broad daylight and under calm conditions, the ship seems to vanish, and the submarine manages to escape without being held accountable. On July 30th, 1944, the German U-boat's ploy fails. A watchman on a passing scow notices an enormous shadow beneath the water's surface. Fortunately, a light patrol ship, the MO-103, is in close proximity and moves in to prepare for battle. The MO-103 commander, Senior Lieutenant Kolenk, orders to deploy a pattern of depth charges in Vyborg Bay, resulting in a significant hole in the pressure hull of U-boat U-250. As a result of this attack, only six crew members, including Captain Lieutenant Schmidt, managed to escape the sinking submarine. The men are subsequently captured as prisoners of war. The 46 other crew members lose their lives in the event. U-250 comes to rest at a relatively shallow depth of 27 meters in Vyborg Bay. Buoy markers are placed at the site of the submarine's sinking, but these are torn away by a severe storm. What is unusual, however, is the relentless attacks carried out by the German Air Force, torpedo boats, and coastal artillery on the sunken submarine's location, preventing Soviet ships from approaching. This raises suspicions at the fleet headquarters, and Soviet Admiral Tributz, the commander of the Baltic Fleet, orders reconnaissance officers of the Rota Osobogo Naznachenia to locate and inspect the sunken German submarine. The Soviet command was aware that a year and a half prior to these incidents, convoys delivering cargo to Britain have started experiencing significant losses. Strikingly, these losses occur under circumstances remarkably like those of the three naval vessels' demise. Torpedoes seems to target the propellers exclusively. Consequently, the ships, once hit by a torpedo, would swiftly descend to the depths, leaving them no time to evade or counterattack. It becomes imperative to salvage the submarine. This daunting task fell upon Prokvatilov's unit. Ivan Vasilievich interrogates Corvette Captain Schmidt, who conducts himself with dignity. You may have bested me, and I respect that, but I will not divulge any information about the submarine. That's when Prokvatilov cunningly baits him, remarking, You seem to be quite inept when it comes to navigation. Only a fool would follow such a course. Ivan Vasilievich disdainfully traces the route on the map haphazardly. 
The German was a Franz, retorting, I was adhering to the only correct course given the circumstances. We ended up here purely by chance. And he points at the map. With the location more or less known, Prokvatilov assembles a group of ten reconnaissance divers and a doctor, Senior Lieutenant V. Vlasov, and sets out to the search area. Despite constant enemy coastal artillery shelling, the divers, on the fourth day of their search, locates the U-250 at a depth of 36 meters. Only Sergei Napomniakchi, a tall and jovial scout from Moscow, manages to enter the submarine and reaches the captain's cabin. When lifted to the surface, he is clutching a cylindrical pencil case containing the Makato maps of the Baltic Sea. These maps reveal the enemy's secret waterways from Sveinmunde to Leningrad. After studying the documents recovered from the sunken submarine, the fleet command decides to raise it to the surface. In September, with the assistance of pontoons, the submarine is successfully brought to the surface, towed to Kronstadt, and docked. Captain Schmidt, the former commander of U-250, is allowed on board to assist in the operation. First, the death submariners inside the submarine are removed under his watchful eye. After that, the Soviet salvagers start searching the submarine for valuable information. They discover loads of information and documents. The discovered documents include not only an Enigma code machine, ciphers and codes, but also an unexpected find, a previously unknown torpedo. Two of these torpedoes are retrieved from the submarine, rendered safe, and subjected to detailed examination. They turn out to be T-5 torpedoes, Zaunkonig, electrically operated and guided by an acoustic homing system with non-contact fuses. These torpedoes have caused significant trouble for the British Navy, having already sunk or damaged 24 British escort ships, including five in convoys bound for the Soviet Union. The Soviet leadership notifies London about this discovery. In a confidential exchange of correspondence between Stalin and Churchill, an agreement is reached to examine the torpedoes. In his letter, Churchill acknowledges the discovery of the German T-5 acoustic torpedoes in the captured submarine and asks Stalin to send them to Great Britain for further examination. In response to Churchill's request, Stalin's letter explains that the Soviets have indeed captured two damaged German acoustic torpedoes. However, sending one to England is not feasible as both torpedoes are damaged due to the explosion and it would require replacing damaged parts with those from the other torpedo. Stalin offers two options. Either the British can receive drawings and descriptions from the torpedo after examination, or British specialists can visit the Soviet Union to study the torpedo on-site and obtain detailed drawings. Stalin also expresses his concerns about revealing too valuable a secret. The British chose the second option, and in adherence to the Allied alliance, Stalin allows British specialists to inspect the torpedo with it creating more knowledge in the war against the German U-boats. In the autumn of 1944, 
Concerns about the ongoing relevance of the RON within the naval intelligence system begins to surface within the Navy's command structure. Rear Admiral M.A. Voronsov, Chief of the Intelligence Directorate of the Main Naval Staff, is the first to raise these concerns. He conveys his doubts to the headquarters of the Soviet Baltic Fleet and indicated his intention to petition the head of the General Staff to dissolve the company. Conversely, Rear Admiral Petrov, who leads the RO of the SHBF, along with his deputy, Captain 2nd Rank, P.D. Grishchenko, Captain 3rd Rank, I.B. Prokvatilov, the commander of the Rota Osobogo Nadznashenia, and personnel from the main directorate of the State Migration School, including Captain 1st Rank L.K. Bekrenev, Captain 2nd Rank Diu Shashenkov, and Colonel N.S. Frumkin, hold a different viewpoint. They believe that such units should be a part of the fleets not only during wartime, but also during peacetime, and they emphasize the importance of continuous improvement and development of these units. In October 1944, Captain I.B. Prokvatilov, while advocating for the necessity of maintaining naval special forces, makes an appeal to Ru G.M.H. This is a novel endeavor that, under certain circumstances, holds significant promise as long as intelligence remains indispensable. Utilizing specialized equipment, our light diver reconnaissance teams consistently executed covert landings, even in areas with a high troop presence and heightened vigilance at the landing sites. The intelligence gathered was consistently reliable. This raises the question of whether a light diving unit should be retained during peacetime. Prokvatilov proposes the establishment of a special school based on the company within the main directorate of the State Reconnaissance School. Such a school would be responsible for training reconnaissance divers, developing diving equipment, providing the necessary technical support, and enhancing reconnaissance methods employed by these divers. On March 15, 1945, the company is relocated to the village of Kakume, near Tallinn, where it remains stationed until October 1945. Unfortunately, these appeals and recommendations went unanswered. After the ending of World War II in September-October 1945, Rear Admiral Alexandrov, the head of the Baltic Fleet RO and NSH of the Baltic Fleet, conducts an inspection of the Baltic Fleet. He concludes that maintaining reconnaissance detachments during peacetime is inappropriate. This conclusion is included in the inspection report, which is signed on October 10th by the head of the General Naval Staff, Admiral I.S. Izakov. On October 14, 1945, the commander of the Soviet Baltic Fleet issued Order No. 0580 to disband the Rota Osobogo Nadznashenia by October 20th. By the end of October 1945, the unit is disbanded. As we conclude our dive into the remarkable world of the Rota Osobogo Nadznachenia, we're reminded of the extraordinary sacrifices and achievements of these unsung heroes. Their exploits beneath the waves serve as a testament to the unwavering courage, resourcefulness, and resilience displayed 
by special forces during World War II. The legacy of the Rota Osobogo Naznachenia continues to inspire those who understand the depth of their contributions to victory. Their missions, though rarely acknowledged at the time, played a crucial role in the war's outcome. Their legacy includes over 200 combat and reconnaissance missions and 840 diving missions with the aim of neutralizing sea mines. We hope this episode has shed light on the incredible story of the Rota Osobogo Naznachenia and the role they played in the shadowy world of Soviet naval special operations. Their commitment to duty and the dangerous, often life-threatening work they undertook make their history all the more significant. Thank you for joining us on this journey through history. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and share it with fellow history enthusiasts. Stay tuned for more tales of courage, ingenuity, and valor on the Special Forces in World War II podcast. Until next time, remember that the heroes of yesterday continue to inspire the heroes of today. concludes this mission briefing fellow warriors of knowledge we've navigated through the trenches of information delving deep into the battlefields of history as we wrap up this episode in our campaign for understanding remember that knowledge is your most potent weapon stay vigilant and keep sharpening your intellectual arsenal we'll rendezvous again for another episode continuing our relentless pursuit of enlightenment. Until then, keep your mind sharp, your curiosity burning, and your determination unwavering. Simultaneously, you are hereby alerted to our outposts on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, fortifying our information dissemination. Should you possess any pertinent intelligence to bolster our mission, transmit your findings with no hesitation. Your contributions shall be prominently acknowledged within the operational archives. Furthermore, for those prepared to provide substantial reinforcement, navigate to our Patreon forward base and enlist. Your support is integral to sustaining our forward thrust. Carry forth the legacy. Dismissed. <laughs>